evening, everyone. I hope you're having a fantastic Monday as Mondays go. Um, I'm a little, I'm a little off over here. I, uh, yeah, tax day. I hope you got you guys. Um, for those of you, uh, you're screwed if you haven't filed your taxes. Let's put it that way. If you're in America, you need to file your taxes today. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I think if you get it into the post office before midnight, it will still have a good post date. Or if you're filing electronically, you need to get your butt on the computer and do that like ASAP. No joke. Um, today is the last day and the IRS has got some stupid fees if you file late. Just FYI. (sighs) Anyways, happy fucking tax day. (coughs) I hope it's been fantastic for you guys and I know there's a conversation happening in the um on uh discord today <coughs> about kind of being off and not having a good day and kind of needing to reboot and I was thinking about how um sometimes you just you just need to reboot yourself you just need to give yourself some some room to um to not do much and just to kind of relax your brain and get everything reset Um, and all that junk. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay, apparently Willow says they're due the 17th this year, according to the IRS website. So you got a couple more days if you're fucking around. Verify that. Check your, especially if you're filing state and federal taxes. Just um, try to be a good citizen. Um It's a bad day over here. It's just a bad tax day. Just bad. Um, let's see. I normally before I start my podcast, I open up my notebook and I make a new page and I write down the date um, and the topic. And so when I get started, I have my page ready, but I didn't do that this time, and now I kind of feel like off kilter. So I definitely, definitely need to reboot. It's weird. Okay. Anyway. I'm going to put Julie on the air so hopefully she can help get me a little (laughs) focused (laughs) hello can you hear me okay I can hear you okay well right before the podcast like uh, 90 seconds before I got a I went to stand up and I didn't realize my, my headset, I, don't, I was already on the phone, I didn't realize my headset had gotten wrapped around the arm of the chair. So it ripped the headset off very violently. <laughs> and Whoops. I was like, oh, I don't, is this even going to work? I don't know. I don't have any way of testing it. <laughs> so it's like, now well, you are. Is this the same one that we share, the, the, the same kind with the tight headphones yes. and all that? Yeah. Well, they're very durable. I, I, I drop mine all the time. It is a very durable product. Even if it is mighty uncomfortable after two hours. Yeah, my concern was that because um, Apple got rid of the three and a half millimeter jack, I'm not just dealing with the 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 um the wires for the headset. I'm also dealing with the wires for the adapter. So I was like, well, yeah, if, if, mine if the adapters. Actually, mine's a USB plug-in. I use the USB part. I use the USB. Cord. Yeah, I, I just. 
I just dial through my um, my phone. That way, I have the flexibility of walking around, and I'm not tethered to my computer. But yeah, I do. I do sometimes <laughs> plug it into my computer when I like like make a video or something. I use the USB side of it to 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 plug in. But I was like, well, I'll find out when the podcast starts if she can hear me. <laughs> I can hear you. I want to. Um... Thank everybody who has been buying my book, and um, it should be on Amazon tomorrow probably. For those of you who have not got to buy The Merman yet, who are waiting on the Amazon link, it will probably happen tomorrow. I love you guys, but quite a few of you emailed my publisher and asked about my book early this morning because it wasn't out yet. Tweeties, darlings, lights of my life. Don't harass my publisher. <laughs> that lady sends me money. <laughs> Thank you, Ellie. Um, yeah, so just, just, um, yeah. Yeah. Send her an email if you have a problem, yes, but not because you're impatient. Okay? Cool? Love ya. Seriously, I do. I love you guys. Thank you for buying my book, and thank you for being so eager for it. But 20-plus of you did not need to email her this morning before 8 to let her know that my book wasn't on the website yet. She was aware. (laughs) I still love you guys. I love you bunches. And I hope you enjoy the book now that you've probably bought it. Anyways, okay, so, you know, uh, like, I am, I've, I have written, let's see, let me get my little thingy out, because um, just on, and I have, I've been kind of half-ass tracking free writing, but um, just on sprints and stuff, and I've been writing my, my, my whole rough trade in sprints, I have written 52,000 words since the 1st of April from, for, for my rough trade. And I've taken a couple of days here and there off because I just, like, I'm like, I'm taking a break. And I took a break. <laughs> Take a break. <laughs> because Take a break. Sometimes you just, you just got it sometimes. I think, what, I think what the sprints have really taught me is that I can be productive without spending six hours sitting in this chair writing. Yeah. And I can be just productive honestly, in four sprints over a four-hour period where I'm up and moving around every 20 minutes than I am at six hours sitting in this chair not moving at all, which is crazy cake. And very quickly, my body my body adapted to having lots of breaks and getting up. So when I tried to do a little bit of more of a marathon writing session, my body hated it. I was just like, I, I hurt. I feel like I'm creaking like an old lady. Maybe this is why I creak like an old lady all the time. It's because I spent too long sitting writing and I don't, you know, I never would have, you know, if the price for writing was feeling old and creaky, I would have just taken some Advil and dealt with it. But clearly I'm more productive and it prevents me from getting stiff and sore. So I, my goal has been to write every day this year, something, something. And um, there were a few days when I was sick when that just didn't happen because there's just, there was like, I wasn't even getting out of bed much less getting writing anything. Um, 
but then I did I did cross the I have only been doing my writing in in sprints. Um, the the that marathon session that I did um, was three forty fives in a row, and I mean I was just like, what the hell is this? Um, I think mine like might be two forty fives in a row. I mean, for now, yeah, I, mean, I just think it's just yeah, because that third one was hard. We mean at all? No, <sighs> and. I mean, it, it used to be that I would sit down sometimes, like you said, sit down and write for six hours, and I wouldn't accomplish what I accomplished in, in two hours with sprinting. And uh, I do think I found a slot for where the 45s help me and where they don't. Um, and so it's good for me to be learning that about when a longer writing session is beneficial to me. So I'm kind of like feeling my way through it. But since I've done most of my writing in sprints, I have it all in spreadsheets. So I did cross the 200,000 mark on Saturday, which would have been the eight-week mark since we started doing the sprints. And I took Sunday off. <laughs> it was just, and it wasn't just because I felt a little bit like mentally fried like I kind of like felt I was mentally shorted out, but I did a long haul on I think it was Saturday, maybe it was Friday. I don't know. Um, getting that action scene written, um, sixty-two hundred words. The fifth, well, it's like sixty-two hundred words, almost all action. It's not quite all action, but it's almost all action. And um, I've never written an action scene that long. I've never written a scene quite like that before. Um, and I banged it out basically in one day. And normally an action scene like that, I'd have labored over it for a week. And I think my brain just sort of, I don't know, it was like a balloon popping <laughs> the next day. And it didn't help that, you know, my, my parents have been here for like three and a half months, and they, they left this morning. And so yesterday was a little bit frenetic um, with them packing and getting ready to go and for some reason turning all the heaters off. And then we had a cold snap. And when I woke up this morning, it was 62 degrees in here, and I was like, what is this? <laughs> Inside energy conservation as they're leaving? <laughs> I currently have the heat in my house set on 50. If it gets below 50, it'll cut on. I am very comfortable right now. But I am premenopausal. I normally, I normally prefer it to be a little on the cooler side, but um, I guess I got too cold. When I get too cold, my body will take do a hard shift where it's just there's no warming me up. But yeah, it was so. It was just yesterday was really chaotic, and I think just even I kept thinking I'm gonna sit down and do a couple of sprints because I used to not do that. I used to not think if I had a chaotic day, there was no sitting down and writing. And I did think about sitting down and doing a couple of sprints yesterday, but it was more than just things were crazy here. It was also that I hit I hit some sort of like saturation point. And I just was like, I need a day off. Um, so, so I did. Um, I took the day off. And the world didn't end. Although we did fiddle around with our website like, whoa. Yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes you might have that's, what I, that's what I – You <laughs> might have noticed, yeah. That's what I do when I'm feeling a little bit, like, overwhelmed or saturated or just, like, kind of, like – I do fiddly stuff. So – Fiddling with colored palettes was um, just about right, you know, right where I was yesterday. (laughs) 
I am. Um, I did my website. I did wild hair. I did half of Rough Trade. I'm going to move to the dark background on Rough Trade um, after posting is over at the end of the month. Because I didn't want to throw anybody off. And the main reason is is that when you go to the published screen on, on wild hair, it, it looks drastically different. And sometimes people who have obsessive compulsive issues like myself – um, that can be a real throw-off for you, and I didn't want to throw anybody off um, writing during Rough Trade because I, there are a few people who actually write on the website, and I didn't want to mess them up midstream, you know, just give them a couple months to get used to it um, before they end up writing on a black screen. Um, so, yeah, but Rough Trade will go dark as well um, as far as color scheme goes because it's just – it is so – much better on me visually. I mean, I couldn't even tell you. Yeah. I mean, I know we have a few people who really don't like the white, don't like the dark color, rather. But there are more people who don't like the bright. Um, so it's just um, deal. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Just deal. Um, there are apparently some... Um, there are some plugins on WordPress and stuff that don't play nicely with all of the reader modes, so I guess some reader modes have problems. Although somebody claimed to me that that they can't use Firefox reader modes on these sites, and that I don't know, I don't know if that's, that's true. I haven't checked Firefox's reader mode, but um, I actually think it's probably a plugin incompatibility, like an extension in Firefox is preventing it, not actually um, the WordPress site itself. Um, because we know there's some um, ad blocker incompatibilities with reader mode that have nothing to do with WordPress. It has to do with the extension being incompatible, incompatible with the reader mode so, um, and causing problems on certain sites. So, but it's not going to – the reader mode's not, not – there's no fix for everybody. When the sites were bright, bright white, not everybody could get to a readable screen for them. So now it's flipped to people who prefer the bright white – are the ones that are going to have to work for it a little bit. Such is life. But this is the direction, the darker screens, I think is the direction the Internet is moving. I, I see so, more and more. It's much less straining. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even notice how much the white was bothering me. This was the discussion, part of the discussion we were having behind the scenes about all of this was that um, – I haven't. I don't go on Facebook hardly at all, and if I'm doing anything Facebook, Facebooky or Facebook related, it's um, on Messenger. And Messenger has a night mode now. And Miwi, I bought the dollar ninety nine upgrade to get the dark mode, and um, the default for Discord is dark mode. So I spend all day on sites that are dark. And then when I had to go to Facebook one day, it was like being slapped in the face. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> my eyes. <laughs> what is this terribleness that we're having to deal with? Why is this so bright? I can't deal. So <laughs> um, so as we got to talking about it, and then Kira, what just she, what, she just like sent a link one day, what do you guys think of this? I was like, holy crap, that looks great. So I think Quantum Bang was the easiest to migrate to the new colors. Um, I agree. Yeah, we didn't, it didn't. We didn't have to. Yeah, I had to do a whole new we art for mine because well, I didn't have to. Let's let's be clear. <laughs> I could have made yeah. what I had work. 
<laughs> but it, look, it looks good. What you did looks good. But, yeah, Quantum Bang was just a matter of basically doing a color inversion because all the accent colors already worked. We just darkened them a little bit so they weren't quite so neon looking. Um, but yeah. it was a really simple transition for Quantum Bang, whereas it wasn't the simplest transition necessarily on all the sites. But yeah, I mean, I did put out a post about people who prefer the white background. Um, honestly, I honestly I think might be a minority on my site, um, so that you can just so you have options to change that. But the thing is, is the rest of us have been suffering with a glaring white background for like a decade. You guys can hang out with the dark, okay? Because. <laughs> It's our turn. <laughs> yeah, we want we want to. <clears throat> we, my my eyes are too old for this stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, I, something it is something about I think that made it made it more obvious when I started becoming a little bit farsighted and needing reading glasses. I don't know what it is about that that little bit of vision change that just made it so much harder to deal with the white on top of, I think it's because there's more of a, a focus, like my, my eyes are struggling to focus a little bit more. So the white on top of everything else is just. I haven't updated the mobile theme for small devices. So those of you who are using like a phone, you might still see the white if your phone is a certain size. Both Julie and I have a presentation page. That presentation page is not available on reader mode on most um, browsers, but if you go to an actual post, you should be able to hit the reader mode on Firefox and um, Safari and all those other things. And God help you, Edge, if you're using Edge, and I don't know why you would. The only thing Edge is good for is to download an, a, a legitimate browser when you get a new computer. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? No, oh, this is for I got my brand new I got my brand new laptop. I'm going to use Edge to download Firefox. <laughs> right. Now, RT is still white. Um, I haven't, all I did was change the art on RT. Um, and I'll change the mobile um, theme on my site probably tomorrow. But me and the mobile theme aren't good friends. Those of you who've been a part of my site for a long time, you know I had a really difficult time with the mobile theme um, for a very long fucking time. And so <laughs> I'm almost afraid to touch it. I used to have a separate mobile theme. I don't anymore. I don't think. Well, I don't even know what um, I've got. WordPress has a separate mobile theme. And if you go into your customization, it's there. Hmm, I didn't do anything with that. I wonder what is what is is something is um Well, we'll sort it out. 
we always we shall. work this stuff out of us. We 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 just you know we figure it out. Um, RT's background, well, like I said, it, um, it will change um, after um, our event is over because I didn't want to mess anybody up during the writing phase. Phase, blah, blah, blah. Um, and sometimes just a slight change can do that to people. So I figured art was about as far as I wanted to go on that front. I didn't want to get anybody's, um, I didn't want to fuck up anybody's writing groove. <clears throat> But I love my new art on Rough Trade. I'm I'm really pleased with it. But wild hair could be my favorite because I have a love affair with teal and trees, <laughs> and it's got both. <laughs> it's re- wild hair is really pretty. Yeah, I really like the color scheme. You well, my for goal hair. was to find a picture and a color scheme that worked with the original banner art because I worked hard on those rabbits. You wouldn't think so. But those rabbits originally were very flat, and um, they're actually two-dimensional on some really, really good monitors. Um, But I had to work on those little rabbits. They were all flat and weird-looking. It was just like, but now they're almost kind of embossed, and that was some work. So I didn't want to give up my little rabbits. (laughs) So I worked around trying to find something. That would work. I'm keeping my rabbits. But I did move um, the uh, the background of wild hair to a dark gray, um, which is probably what rough trade will be too, because of the front end posting, the boxes almost disappeared into the black background. Because the front end posting keeps the color. So the inside of the box and the outside of the box are the same color as your background. And the outline of the box uh, wasn't dark enough or bright enough. to. So they were like, it was like looking at nothing. <laughs> they're like words, there's supposed to be a box. It may be a box. It's like, it's like, it, was like, it was like a black hole. <laughs> or something anyway so I fixed that so it's a, so you can discern the boxes from the rest of the site now which is probably what I'll do with rough trade too I'll go this color or a little bit you know so that the boxes will show up because I originally had it like a I forget what but it it just wasn't working and then I then I did, redid lady holders because um you won't leave her out. She's all Slytherin over here. She's Slytherin. Yeah, she really embraces her inner Slytherin. She'll slither right in. And so, for those of you who are curious, that font of her pen name, her, her pseudonym, her non diplume, that is great vibes. Because somebody always asks me about a font, and then I fucking forget it. And... Now you can point them to this podcast. Say I, I announced right. on this one podcast. Go, go. You have to find the podcast. Good luck with that. I don't even know which one it was. Because <laughs> six months from now, I'll be like, well, 
I might have mentioned it on the podcast. Um, but yeah. Don't ask me what my fawn is, because I don't remember. <laughs> I slept since then. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Oh. Mine is probably... I got no clue. I got nothing. I got no idea. I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to put you on hold. I'm I'm gonna put myself on hold. Julie, keep talking. <laughs> keep talking. <laughs> wow, I am. Well, I just it's just like she said, keep talking, and my brain just went completely blank. Um. That's not nice, Lady Holder. Um, I have to say, it's just a random bit of trivia. It's probably the best part. I have been, my parents stayed in my room for the last four months. So I have not been in my bed for the last four months, and that's the thing I'm the most looking forward to is my bed. Done with you guys tonight. I'm going to go get in my bed, which is not a twin. Thank fuck. Because you should not put somebody my height in a twin size bed. It's cruel and unusual. So for the first time in four months, my feet will not be hanging off the end of the bed. I'm very much looking forward to that. It kind of, it, it's been kind of, no, I have a queen. Full and, a full and a twin are the same same length. But at least on a full, I could at least kind of go diagonal. <laughs> so... Um, isn't your husband like the Jolly Green Giant? I'm 5'10". Yeah, yeah. Lady Holder's husband is the Jolly Green Giant. And Lady Holder's also 5'10". And I'm sure there's plenty of 5'10 people who sleep successfully on a twin bed, but that ain't, that's not me. I don't leave like, you know. What? Okay, I'm sorry, I'm back. My little dog. I was just complaining. Oh, <sighs> this the, the one who was in jail? Yeah, the jailbird, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> While you were gone, I was I'm just keeping... reveling in the fact that I'm going to finally not have my feet hanging off the end of the bed for the first time in four months. Oh, that is ridiculous. I think you need to have a talk to them and say, hey, if you're going to summer here, or, or winter here, you you might need to invest in a winter home. <laughs> That's not mine. <laughs> I don't want to sleep on a twin for four months again. <laughs> or you guys just buy a big house here in this area. We'll move into it and keep it for you. <laughs> there you and go. it'll be here. And it'll be here when you're ready to winter again. Oh God. Um I want to put myself on hold again. I can't even with this dog. I'll be back, I promise. Okay. <sighs> yeah, so I did try to be in the in the theme of what we're kind of discussing here, I did try to 
to give myself there's kind of, I think sometimes when you set goals for yourself, your goal can kind of become oppressive. And that was really the only reason why I even thought about writing yesterday because my my first reaction to to how I felt yesterday was I need to just take a day off, probably from the entire Internet. But I didn't take a day off from the entire Internet because, you know, I needed to do website shenanigans. But – my, my, I felt like I just needed a day off from my, from, from writing, from figuring things out, from kind of the pressure I've been putting on myself. It's not bad pressure. There's not all pressure is bad. Pressure helps people get things done. So, and the only reason why, the only, the only thing that crossed my mind as a problem was is that I had said that I would try to write every day, and I usually do write every day. But yesterday I was just like, I need. And that was the only thing. That was the only thing is the only reason why I even thought about it was that pressure of that goal. And that, that I don't think that that um, – I think sometimes we feel like – and I think everybody who's ever stumbled into a slump with their writing worries a little bit that if they give themselves that day off or that two days off or whatever, that it will turn into three or four or five or five months or six months. Because I think most of us have been there where a little a little break becomes an enormous break. And it's remarkably difficult to get going again. The longer it's been, the harder sometimes it feels like to get back in the groove. Um, I can't tell if, if dark is relating or something else is going on. <laughs> um, my little dog, I'm keeping him quarantined. Um, because he was in doggy jail because he ran away and um, I picked him up and um, and paid for his kennel fee. I'm, I'm looking at you. Um, and But he's been exposed to kennel cough. Um, and they're, they're both vaccinated, but I'm still keeping them separate because I don't want my big dog to get kennel cough because it's worse on big dogs it's a lot of times, especially huskies who can have um, lung issues. Anyway, good to keep them apart, which they probably aren't appreciating. No, no, no. The big one probably is worse off because he was really lonely. Um, but but Jack is perfectly content to be just right up my butt. I mean, he he's perfectly content to lay on my foot twenty four seven. Except except when he ran off. Right, except for when he ran off. Yeah. When he ran away and broke my heart. He don't care. He's looking at me like, well, so what, bitch? He needed an adventure. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so Kronos uh, is quite young. He's just two in December. He he just turned two in December. So I'm um, trying to keep him out of the way so he doesn't get the kennel cough. Um so I'm not sure the little one's got it, but if he does, I don't want them both to have it. So, anyways, he this went to doggy jail and came back away. with a communicable disease. This is sort of like your Sims running off and getting pregnant, but not quite. <laughs> yeah, not quite. <laughs> just, I mean, there I were no aliens involved. Pregnancy, pregnancy to communicable disease. <laughs> well, comparisons could be drawn. Yeah. Um, 
she didn't want him pregnant with that alien. She didn't. She may want. She wants him pregnant when she decides they get to be pregnant. She's like a control freak. Like I'm that. not the one. I'm not currently doing the 100 baby challenge. I'm not saying I won't do the 100 baby challenge. I'm just not currently doing it. Am I looking at empty lots and thinking about sticking a house there with a? Yes. <laughs> have I read the rules? Not yet. I do have them bookmarked. Shut up. <laughs> As is doing the 100 Baby Challenge. If you've not, um, if you're not a YouTuber, if you don't, if you're not on YouTube all the time, you might not have noticed, but there is um, a gamer at BuzzFeed doing the 100 Baby Challenge, and her name is Kelsey, and she's doing, and she's on episode 15 now in the series, um, and um, she's had 20 babies so far. And sometimes in that, in that house, she's got she's got four to five toddlers at the same time. It is unreal. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's just too much. So yeah. Now, my my Sim did get kidnapped, and he and he came back pregnant with an alien's baby. And since I didn't know if it was consensual or not, I didn't save the games. I didn't want him to have, you know, a non-consensual alien baby. But then, I'll be damned if the next time I played the game, if he didn't go out into his backyard, and I tried to stop him and stargaze again, and he got abducted by aliens again, and I told him, I was like, fine, you do it, and if you come back pregnant, you're keeping the baby. <laughs> he didn't come back <laughs> pregnant again. <laughs> he took your warning seriously. <laughs> he, yeah, he must have. Yeah. I'm not going to reset the game, <laughs> so you're just going to have to live with the I baby next time. I am saving changes. You're going to have to keep that alien baby if you come back pregnant. Yeah. It better not have tentacles, buddy. So it's really funny. I have several houses with children in them. And you will not believe who the best parents are. It, it is ridiculous. Okay, so I've got I've got Harry and Hermione in a house. And this is actually how I kind of reset myself and how I kind of relax. I play a game, and currently that game is Sims 4. Um, so I have Harry and Hermione in a house, and they have two kids. Um, and I have... John and Meredith in the house with two kids, the female version of McKay. And then I have John and Rodney in a house with two kids. And guess who are the best parents? Yes. <sighs> I don't know. I'm like really torn on. Harry the chat room sucks. No, actually, they're the worst parents. They're both frustrated and freaked out. Um, John and Rodney are the best parents. Their their toddler is completely potty trained, um, and all her skills are like two or three. Um, they have an adopted child. Their adopted child is a straight A student, um, and I'm not interfering. I'm just kind of like you know, I make them go to the bathroom and stuff. But all the stuff like with homework and everything, they're doing that on their own. Um, so yeah, John and Rodney are the best parents. John's a stay-at-home dad, although Rodney did give birth to the to the girl, 
the the first baby, the toddler, Josephine. Um, so yeah, I'm just John and Rodney are the best parents. So that's a hoot. It's hilarious. It's a lot of fun. It's it, um, and Rodney's pregnant again. Um, and they're both and they're both really happy about it. They're both thrilled. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I I've been, I've I've seen The Sims. I've seen like friends playing it and stuff. I have never played The Sims, so this is like a little bit outside of me being able to really. Because I haven't. I even the friends I've seen play it have. I haven't seen it in several years, so I certainly. When I saw it, there weren't dudes getting pregnant, so you know, yay for progress, right? But it was just it's it's just I have like no frame of reference. So yeah. I am definitely going to work on Harry and Hermione's um, parenting skills because, um, well, they are. And here's here's an interesting difference. I made John and Rodney adults when I made them. I made Harry and Hermione young adults. So I think they're just too, um, too young. And so I need to give them some skills, work on them a little bit, you know. At least get their kids to the point where they can feed themselves because it is dangerous in the house right now. <laughs> <laughs> I might make them both quit their jobs and just work on being parents because <sighs> it's not working out. Uh, um, I have actually I have several different worlds, um, but I have um, Harry and Hermione and. John and Rodney in the same world. So, um, Hermione doesn't like Rodney. Well, excuse me, what? He don't like her either, though. Do not get along. And it's really interesting because they have practically the same traits. Um, and they just do not get along. Um, and so... And also, Rodney's cat prefers Hermione and it pisses him off. Every time the the cat goes to play with Hermione when she's visiting, he gets pissed and stomps around the house. And you'd not see anything hilarious as you seeing a male pregnant sim stomping around the house in the fit. That is fucking hilarious. I'm just saying. But Rodney, but but John and Harry are pretty good friends. They jog together. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, that's how I. Um, that's that's kind of how I relax. I, I play games and um, I play uh, this stupid township game and etc. But I do think that taking yeah. the bag is important. But you do get that Games worry, are, are, you know, if you if you don't write and you don't write and you don't write, and you have it in the back of your mind is, oh my god, well, what if I never write again? <laughs> it's, you know, especially if you're prolific as I am, I have that worry. So, well, especially if you've had, you, especially if you have, once you've had that slump, um, 
and I I don't haven't met many writers who ha- who haven't had that slump where it just it, it ain't there. Um, just kind of it's just you know, and it, and the longer it goes on, the longer it, and people call it writer's block, but it, I don't really think it is writer's block. It's just. Um, it's kind of everything's in the way, you know. And the harder it is, the longer it's been since you've done it, the harder it is to pick it up and do it again. And and because it almost is like to, it. Hmm. I don't know, but there is that there is that fear. If I don't if I don't write today, am I gonna, is this going to be the beginning of a slump? And you know, because they say what is there's, there's statistics about this. It like it takes. Um, you can break a habit in like three days, but it takes like a month to make a habit or something like that. It's, it's some, there's some ridiculous um, disproportional thing in the way the brain works about creating habits versus breaking them. So like three days off of doing something you usually do and you can have completely broken a habit, a good habit. Um, But it can take like, uh, I think up up to three weeks or a month to build and a habit into a part of your your life to kind of lay down those pathways, and when you when I think about that, sometimes it's like, you know, I I get this like a little bit of irrational panic about, um, you know, am I, are my good habits going to slip? Twenty one days, okay, so it's like twenty one days to make a habit and three days, um, to break it, and that's really when you think about if you think about your writing, because there is a discipline about writing every day or whatever, however you, whatever you apply to your craft, there's a discipline about that that makes sitting down at your computer, even when, you know, you'd really rather be doing something else. There is a discipline involved in sitting down and doing it. There's a habit that you form. And when you break that habit, it's hard to lay that back down again. And it's, um, I can kind of sometimes get a little irrationally panicked when even when my brain is saying you need to take a little bit of a breather. Um, You're saying, nope, no breather, no, not happening. Yeah, because I, I, I went and I had a, a slump that lasted a long time, a long time, like years. And um, I don't, I don't want to go back to that. We had someone recently in the discords talking about how they had not written in years until the sprint. And then one who hadn't written since November of last year who started writing in the sprints. And I was like, go, <laughs> what? That's so fucking awesome. You know, it's, yeah. I think it's amazing the people who not only are writing again, um, are, but are writing more than they've ever been able to before. And, and I know there are there are, some people who do it very goal some people are very goal oriented, but I've noticed a lot of people are just able to take it for any writing is good writing. You know, it's just like they sit down and they write anything and they're happy because it's been maybe it's been a challenge or trying to find the time, or people you know we, a lot of us have the mindset that we have to you know be able to devote a couple of hours at a time to writing instead of devoting twenty minutes. Um, and so it's, I think it's given, it's given me a different mindset about, that's true. 
So Dark Serafina said, we also have rituals with our writing, like making tea or checking your email while your document loads. So it's not just the habit of writing, but your writing habits that you have to relearn. And that I think that's really key because sometimes when you haven't written in a while and you go sit down at the computer, it that lack of habit that you don't have anymore, it feels like you are out of place in your own craft. And that's really disorienting where it's like, nothing feels right and it's because your habits around your computer and your writing space have changed since the last time you wrote so the things you do at your computer aren't the things you did three months ago or a year ago or two years ago your habits when you sit down you've you've built different habits and so your every your whole experience of sitting down to writing feels like this is not it feels unfamiliar even though it's not actually new to you, and that is um, that makes that makes getting going again even more of a challenge. And I think that's where we get this perception that we have to be able to devote a lot of time. And one of the things I really like about the whole sprint thing is sometimes if I can only sit down to do one sprint. I mean, I've had days when I only had time to do one sprint, um, and it's it feeling like I got 800 or 1,000 words in in 20 minutes, and that's, you know, if I'm really wanting to write and I'm going to sit down and write for just 20 minutes, that's all I'm going to be able to squeak out in my day, I'm probably going to get 1,000 words in. Um, but seven to 800 is closer to my average. That is, that's, that's, I'm totally happy with that. On a crazy day that I put 20 minutes aside for the thing that I love the most, I and got that done, I'm totally happy with that. Um, but I've also gotten a lot more editing done in sprints, too. So that's all. Yeah, I find sprints very helpful in editing. And I was like, because, you know, editing has recently just been, like, the biggest chore that I've got. And I avoid it like the plague. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it makes it, because I'm in there sprinting and watching those guys do their thing. And it's, you know, it's, it's motivating to be in the sprint while you're editing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes now it's been a little bit difficult prior to the start of rough trade. I was doing a lot of editing in sprints. Um, and um, once rough trade started, I haven't done as much, but um, I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to put that part of my discipline into my, close to daily but maybe not quite daily like at least every other day routine is that I get some editing done but because um, I just otherwise I wind up the situation I've been in which is a huge editing backlog which starts to feel like this um, you know unscalable mountain that I'm never going to be able to conquer so why bother with it anyway and that's kind of like that self-defeating it's it's a circular argument and it's completely self-defeating because, you know, just continuing to write and throw things onto the editing heap is absolutely not going to solve the unscalable mountain problem. No, no. Editing is like the least fun thing to do in in the in, in the process of of writing but it is something that i think you need to um that i personally have to force myself to do 
So having it be part of a routine and having it be, you know, doing it in Discord is um, doing it in like, not literally doing it in Discord, but um, being on Discord and, you know, following the sprint schedule and it just makes it easier. Yeah. And then sometimes if I get my editing done, it's like, oh, my writing time feels like a reward because I got my editing done. Yeah, so it's, you know, if I did two sprints of editing in or something like that, um, and I've noticed I catch more errors when I'm giving myself editing breaks. Um, (laughs) I used to edit until I noticed that I was missing errors. And the way I noticed that I was missing errors is I would see a significant error, like two or three paragraphs up from where I was in the document and go, oh, great, I'm missing errors now. I'm saturated and I should need to take a break. Um, that's the wrong time to take a break <laughs> because it's really hard to tell when you stop noticing the mistakes. <laughs> um, so I, I definitely think I'm, I'm more consistent about the editing if I do it on a sprint schedule. Yeah. Azure points out that the, the there's also the group activity, the the creative sort of a creative. She says the energy produced by a bunch of creative people working at the same time sparks her creativity. Um, that really does make a lot of difference too, uh, which is one of the reasons why write-ins have always I think been as effective as they are, especially when people actually write at the write-ins. Is it's that group creative energy that provides a sort of a source of inspiration and motivation. It, yeah, it, it is like a, we have like a virtual coffee shop, but we talk about coffee enough that it does feel like a virtual coffee shop. Um, you can participate in the sprints however works in your process. We've had people sit in the sprints and do their plotting, um, work on their timelines, do their editing. Um, we mentioned on the podcast at the night somebody was in doing their actual work, like work work. Um, I want to say they were coding or something, and they were doing it in sprints. Um, so you can use them to to do whatever, be effective at whatever it is you want to do, and 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 leverage the that kind of group creative drive to help you get your um, your thing done. Whatever it is, whatever it is, whether it's whether it's your technical writing or whether it's your um, creative writing or your editing or your plotting or um, popping out to the channel and doing um, getting some advice, whatever it is. Um, it is. And I agree. The longer sprints are really also, they're good for both editing, some, some types of editing uh, and they are good for plot work and they're very good for timeline work too. And also um, I sat in um, one of the 45 minute sprints and did some research because one of the things I can get into is research spirals that do not end. And I can just put more time into a research spiral than I would want to. So there's something about giving myself a limit before I start it, which is that I'm going to research the subject for the sprint and then that's done. And then I need to move on unless I really just didn't get a good understanding of whatever the heck it is. I am having a hard time reading this. 
don't know how I would feel about a half hour sprint. Um, cause there's no productive way to break that up on the hour for, I mean, cause I don't think riding 30 and breaking 30 would work, but if we write 30 and break 15 and then we start again, it's hard to schedule. <laughs> it's hard to schedule. The, the 30, 15 works well with a bunch of people sitting in a room where you can stop it and say, okay, everybody back here in 15 minutes, or we start again in 15 minutes, where you're not relying on people coming back on a timer, where everybody is, where you basically have a captive audience. It's hard to schedule that online because it would mean that it wouldn't be obvious when the sprint started and stopped, when you walked in the room, when you came into the room. So I think that's actually really would... helpful to know when sprints are going on. We know when the sprints are going to start. Oh, 25 and 5? I don't... No. No. 45 I, I and 15 was... Mm. Fifth, the 15 and 5s we didn't like, emphatically didn't like, because the break was too short. So 25 and 5 would be worse. I agree that 30, 15 could be... I mean, we could try it sometime and see if it's how it goes. Um... I know there'd be a lot of, you know, half sprints for people. <laughs> They'd come in and go, oh, I only got the last half of the sprint. Um, I mean, we could try it sometime. We'll, we'll, we'll probably let things settle for a little while longer um, and before introducing and trying another, another trial. Because we've done, um, in the last month, we did the 515-5 trial, universally hated, and um, the 45-15 trial. So we could try the 30-15 I can say it's just it's more a scheduling issue. I do think that for a lot of us, thirty minutes is a is a good compromise on the writing time because I can often go a little longer than um, twenty minutes, but forty five seems too long. So, yeah, that is the method. That is it. it that is the method that this is that sprints are based off of is. Um, The, uh, the Pomodoro technique, um, which is time management method developed in the 80s. Um, the traditional met length is 25 minutes with short breaks. But um, but I do think that for writing, that the 25-5 is, is – that may be the traditional, but I, I don't think it's very effective. Actually, based upon our experiences with the 15-5, it would be the opposite of effective because I think everybody who participated in the 15-5s, and we gave it, what, three hours or something like that? And we I think we gave it, and we did it over two sessions. I did not, but we gave it like four hours total. So we did two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening on that day. And I did, I think I did all of them, but, or something like that. But anyway, it was, so you're getting, if you do two hours, if you do the two full hour trial, and a lot of people did, you're giving yourself six sprints to try it. And after two, people were reacting negatively. And by the end of the second hour, people universally didn't want to do it again. So um, and I think the reaction kind of across the board was that it was tiring. That instead of feeling invigorated and energized by the whole process, that the, the 
short writing the short ride the short break is what made it made it, it untenable that it became it became exhausting everybody got to the end of the trial and went man that was that was just too fatiguing for me so yeah it, it was sort of broke we wrote off the five-minute breaks as just a bad idea. So even if we were to try a longer writing period, I wouldn't do it with a five-minute break. I, I would never try the five-minute break thing again. So somewhere between – some people have been worried about a 20-minute break being too long because they worry that 20 minutes is enough time for them to get fully distracted by something else. Um, oh, I mean, I don't know that I would – that that's something a little bit that kind of you got to pull yourself in, set a timer for yourself, and decide if you're going to go back to writing or not. And if you want, if you're just if you're into something else and you don't want to go back to writing, that's completely legit. But um, if you want to go back to writing, you just set a timer and make sure you go back. <laughs> so, uh, but but definitely, I think longer than 20 minutes as a break would be that would be weird. Well, we're willing to do experiments. We've clearly been trying to do some experiments so far. Um, but we can try and see if other I, things work. I honestly don't think I would actually make a 20-minute break. I'd be writing again. I I know me. The the 10-minute break pushes me sometimes because around minute 8 or minute 9, or minute nine I'm ready to start writing again. So I'm not looking at my yeah. page and messing with my mouse. <laughs> Come on, start the sprint. <laughs> <laughs> I need to write some more. So I'm not sure I can make it to 15. I'm just, you know, just being real. Well, in the 45-15, the 15, you've, you've just had a long haul. So the 15-minute break is like, thank fuck. Um, but in a, after a 20-minute sprint or 30-minute sprint, a 15- or 20-minute break is a little bit like, yeah, I would be like, gee, I, holding on to that, holding on to that, spark of inspiration, you know, when you're cutting off right kind of in the middle, it's a little bit, it would be difficult. Yeah, I, I understand that five-minute breaks are designed around not leaving your break. It's just a, not leaving your desk. It's just a mental break. But um, the thing is, I, I, I'm, I wouldn't actually want to tell people not to get an opposite of why I think this is effective. I think it's the getting up, the moving around um, that is helping people to be able to keep going for a lot longer than they normally would be able to. And the, the, the issue with the five-minute breaks is people – that was why people found it exhausting is they were not getting up. They didn't have time to. No. And I think getting up is, is part of the reason why it's not as fatiguing because you're you're moving around and – Going to the bathroom, getting some water. Ten minutes is enough time to go to the bathroom, get some water, and still wander around the house. Um, so yeah, but when we did do this, I don't, I don't think there's going to be an appreciable difference in how people feel about a twenty-five-five trial versus a fifteen-five. Um, no, I think after twenty-five, a five would be like, no, fuck you, I'm done. <laughs> We were exhausted doing do three it. sprints an hour, five minute breaks. It was, it was, it was rough. Um, oh, I forgot that wasn't water. Oh, that can always be a really rude shock when you think you're getting one drink and something else is in your mouth. And whether it tastes bad or not is irrelevant. It's not what you expected, and so you're tempted to spit it out. 
Huh. Okay. Um, totally off topic there, but yeah, I almost spit something out. So, um, the people people can you know we 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 have the we have the fifteen five channel archived over on the Just Right server. It's still there. It hasn't been shut down. Um, if anybody ever wants to like go and run and try to do a twenty five five. Um, I don't know that I think we're going to get productivity gains out of it because people have been incredibly productive in the 20-minute sprints. So, but you're welcome to try it if it shakes your tree. Um, just coordinate it a little bit and see who wants to kind of jump in and try it out. Um, yeah. Figure out how to make it work best for you. For sure. But also try different things to kind of reset yourself, you know, um, beyond trying riding sprints or taking breaks between your riding or, you know, um, make a new playlist, watch some video. Wait. If you're one of those people who can't get on YouTube without spiraling as careful about watching some videos, but if you're someone who can go over to, you know, YouTube and watch a couple of videos and then come back and start writing some more, you can use that as a break. Go over to Netflix, pick up an episode of a TV show, one episode. But if you don't have a lot of self-control and you're afraid you'll binge watch eight seasons of Midsummer Murders, probably not a good idea. Because that's a lot of show to watch. They have like 18 seasons. You'd be over there for a long time. Um, but um, I find sometimes making making a new playlist for myself is really um, entertaining and really kind of you know, gets me in the mood. I made a sexy playlist recently, and I played it when I was writing um, the sex scene that wasn't even plotted in um, Finding Atlantis. You I don't have a relationship thing. plotted. I know it just. But, but, but what did we expect if I, if I put McKay and John in the same place? I mean, what was supposed to happen? That yeah, well, you did. You, you tagged it. I have to say I felt like I felt like that was some of the best sex I've written in a while. <laughs> it was it was good, but also their relationship came together. Tell that the relationship was flowing very organically, um, and that putting it off for the interest of keeping the story pre-slash would have felt. Weird and genuous, I guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like you were trying to force a force a plot point rather than where the way you were characterizing them. So yeah, it it, it hit it hit right, which made the sex you know hit all the better. Um, so I want to mention there is something about we talked about because the, the the Pomodoro technique thing had came up the first time we did the sprints. Um, it's come up a couple of times that that's kind of what the whole sprinting thing is based on. But there is a different. Um, technique kind of also at play. I mentioned this on one pat- podcast, and I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. Somebody else may um, be able to tell me. It's called the K- Kaizen technique, or is it Kaizen technique? K I Z E N. And this is sort of a, a it's a business. Um, it was originally applied to its business. Uh, it started. It was implemented initially in Japan, particularly in, um, I want to say car manufacturing was where this started. Anyway, I read about it in a book um, 
for a management class I took like way, way back in the day. And um, the book took a different slant on it because it wasn't about like a pr- improving assembly line or a processes. It's pronounced Kazan. Kazan? Okay. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, and what that, the, the, the book that I read um, was talked about how to apply those techniques into um, sort of more day-to-day life and into interpersonal relationships and things. Anyway, and some of the things that it talked about in there was that big change can be difficult for your brain to deal with. Even when it's positive, big change can be – your, your brain chemistry doesn't know the difference between positive big change and negative big change. It just knows that things are radically different. And the idea is that small incremental changes can – sort of trick your brain into accepting the new thing, right? And that's sort of what um, Kazan is about, um, is, is sort of small continuous improvement that nets out to overall big improvement. And that, that is another element that is sort of going on behind the scenes here for a lot of people with doing writing sprints is they, they, they're making one little change. They, maybe they're going to do one sprint a day. And setting aside 20 minutes or an hour to do two sprints um, isn't as intimidating as setting aside two or three or four hours on a fixed schedule, doing it when they can is a much smaller change than trying to implement a global writing, new, new, a new global writing habit. Trying to implement some big change can be very difficult. So there is an element for a lot of people of implementing small change and then you pick up new small changes and more small changes and then after a few weeks you've got an enormous change. And it didn't feel difficult to get there because you took it one step at a time. And you can apply that beyond the sprints. You can apply it to um, giving yourself a tiny change in, you know, giving your, in, in any aspect of your craft or really in any aspect of anything, but we're talking more about writing. But, um, writing 300 words as a goal is less intimidating than trying to write 50,000 words. And when you break up what you're trying to do into small pieces and you say, this is all I'm going to try to accomplish. The thing is, and then when you do it, this is when we also talked about action precedes motivation is once you've accomplished that little thing, you're motivated to do the next thing and the next little thing and the next little thing. And then the next thing you know, you've got 50,000 words. So it's, uh, it's about, you know, figuring out what is the next little thing you want to change or the next little thing you want to try or what else you want to improve. And maybe at the beginning you weren't ready to adopt a whole big aspect of, you know, new writing habits in your life. But you might at the end wind up with that anyway and feel very good about the journey where how you got to where you wound up. So you can use the sprints to do whatever aspect of that you want to work on. You may want to try to learn more about editing or to 
spend one sprint a day writing something original or spend one sprint a day working on character building or whatever it is that you haven't felt like you could tackle before that you could do in this one tiny piece, maybe on one day a week, and you only commit to that much and see how it goes. And it's no pressure because the only person you have to please is yourself. Do you guys want to hear my stress-relieving tip for the day? Yes. Make your – this is actually one of the most negative things I have ever been texted. I honestly started to respond and tell them I didn't need this kind of negativity in my life. Let me tell you what this said. Make your bed every day. You're much less likely to climb back in when you're done. Right? I'm like – I don't know me, but he says, if I want to go to sleep, I'll go to sleep. I don't care what the bed looks like. <laughs> mm. I'll just lie on top of the blanket, right? But yeah. I, I mean, I make miss- my bed. I'm just saying that it wouldn't deter me. It, it never has deterred me from getting back in it. Yeah, no kidding. But I think that, I think they missed the two key elements about that piece of advice um, that have nothing to do with climbing back in the bed. <laughs> First, which you have that, to get out of the bed. Right, which is that when you're depressed, self-care is a very difficult thing. And taking care of your environment and making it tidy and clean is an aspect of self-care. So it's good for you from that perspective, even if you do climb right back in the bed. But there is, and I can't remember where I read about this, that talked about there's some big percentage of people, uh, of like the most highly effective people who are daily bed makers. (laughs) I don't know. I can't remember where I read that. I read that in context, though. It's like make your bed. It doesn't matter if you muss it up later, but get out of bed and make your bed. It's like it's something about starting the the foundation of your day, is you're sort of like giving yourself the right start by making the bed. But it really doesn't have anything to do with the advi- actual advice they gave you. So, I mean, I think there's good advice in there presented in a really bad way. <laughs> yeah, I do have a really nice throw, and I'll get right on top of my bed and throw up in it if I want to take a nap. I mean, nothing stops me from a nap if I'm going to have a nap. But, but I'm also perfectly happy to muss up the bed in the middle of the day. I I stopped mind I used to hate making my bed, but I stopped minding it when um I stopped being a perfectionist about it. Because when I had to tuck everything in, do the hospital corners and um make sure there was sim you know, when I had to um make sure there was perfect symmetry with the amount of blanket on each side of the bed and that the sheets weren't lopsided and it it became a chore. It wasn't just get up and make the bed. Um being a perfectionist about it and it just became get up and straighten the covers up. I didn't have a problem with making my bed anymore. So, but it does help if you're not a bed maker to be in a relationship with somebody who is. Um, and then you just get up first. <laughs> <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> problem solved. Um, what was that earlier about how stress, you know, stress can be good and bad. And sometimes 
um, no matter what, no matter how good the event is, it can cause very difficult stress for you. And a lot of times, um, people seem to forget that like um, moving or a divorce um, is equal in stress to say the death of a loved one. Um, moving is actually one birth, of the most stressful things you can do. Birth of a child. When they look at max big stressors. There, there, there are equal number of positive and negative things on the list. <laughs> Birth of a child and death of a loved one is kind of, they're almost equal. Which yeah. we recoil from that when, when you hear that. Emotionally, we recoil from it. But it's, it's a matter of how the, the stress systems in your brain work. And your amygdala, all it knows is there's a screaming baby and that you're underprepared for having another life dependent on you. So, it, there's a reason why your brain reacts that way to good events and bad events. And, and I mean, anybody who's a stress eater, who's had a really good day, who still went home and ate their feelings, it's because good things stress your brain the same way bad things do. Sometimes you eat your good feelings just like you eat your bad ones. It's like, I'm really happy right now. Give me a pint of ice cream. And it's the same reaction of, I'm really unhappy right now. Give me a pint of ice cream. I mean, Except sometimes it's bizarre. when you're really unhappy, it's like, give me a pint of ice cream and a bottle of wine. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, the amygdala is um, remarkably unsubtle. And it's not very discerning. So your new job may be exciting and great and you're jazzed about it and it's a really good thing for your life, but a new job is considered one of those high-stress events. So, um, There is a wine ice cream. I don't know how I feel about it, but there is one, yeah. I haven't tried it. I don't want to try it. I don't either. That's if I could be messing up two good things. I don't know how I feel about it because I like wine to be kind of full and fruity but not particularly sweet. But ice cream is inherently sweet. So really, mm-hmm. what are they saying is, here, have this grape ice cream, and I'm not sure I'm about it. Because <laughs> that's what it is, basically. It's, it's grape ice cream. Think about that for a second. Yeah. I'm a crier. I cry when I'm mad. I cry when I'm sad. I cry when I'm, you know, I just, I, I'm a crier. Um, and I, I cry more when I'm really mad because then I'll cry because I'm mad. Then I'm frustrated because I'm crying. So I cry some more because I'm frustrated. And then I'll cry because my nose is bright red and there's no helping for that, you know. It's like well, I look ridiculous. I look like Rudolph. <laughs> Bourbon is a different story altogether. Praline, pecan, bourbon, ice cream. I yeah, you um, can put spirits into a, a, a sweet thing because there you already do, right? I mean, there's a lot of desserts that are made with spirits, but I just don't any desserts I've ever run across are made with wine. I haven't, I have not enjoyed. But yeah, alcohol well, can't be frozen, but. Um, there would be a process for getting the flavor out of it. I imagine that doesn't have much of an alcohol content. Well, but I mean, ice cream isn't a, isn't frozen solid anyway. So, 
Um, no. I think a really nice so it, soft ice cream though. That'd be lovely. Yeah. I mean, but you wouldn't. You could. You could. You could get the taste of vodka without getting drunk. I mean, without getting so much in it that you would get drunk on mm-hmm. it. Um, Fuzzy navel ice cream would be awesome. I'm just saying. Strawberry daiquiri. Strawberry daiquiri. Strawberry daiquiri would be really nice in like a sorbet or something like that. I agree. Um, I agree. I don't but know honestly, that if I want a strawberry daiquiri, I just want to have a strawberry daiquiri. <laughs> well, that too. Spirits, are, I mean, when it comes to like bourbon and um, bourbon, port, sherry, that kind of stuff, I, I'm, I'm fine, fine with those being a dessert. I've had those in all kinds of like chocolate desserts and stuff. But when it comes to like vodka, tequila, I don't want that in my dessert, really. Yeah, I think if the I think if the ice cream actually really tasted like the wine, I don't I think if you don't like wine you probably wouldn't. So the only way you would like it is if it isn't much like wine and then which case why are we calling it wine ice cream? Right. It really is great ice cream. It's conceptually it conceptually is off. Is it a sorbet? Because if it's more like a wine sorbet, I can kinda get there. But when was the last time you had a glass of wine that you went, This needs cream? <laughs> right? Never. Never. Never, never. I mean, could someone please fetch the half and half? This wine doesn't have enough in it. It just is not where we go with that particular beverage. So I I find the ice cream concept to be weird. Now, yeah, I might be willing to try a wine slushy. That might not be too bad. Champagne slushy. Hmm. But there's but that's not the same thing as dumping <laughs> red meat in your red wine. <laughs> Some things are meant to remain separate. Coffee and milk, good marriage. But you know, dumping Dumping um, meat fat. Coffee ice cream. Which is, coffee, coffee, yeah, coffee ice, ice cream, cream is great. Nice. Um, especially the Hagen boss Fantastic. Highly recommend it. I Speaking of sugar-free, though, someone asked about sugar-free ice creams. I get 80 sugar-free. I tried their vanilla, and I've tried their fudge tracks, and they're both decent. I mean, obviously, you know you've got sugar-free ice cream in your mouth because there is a sugar alcohol in it, but it's for someone who's not allowed to have a whole lot of sugar, and so ice cream is pretty much off the menu all the time. Um, it's not sugar-free; it's no sugar added because there is sugar in milk products themselves. So they couldn't actually make a sugar-free ice cream that's actually ice cream. Um, but it is um, it is very nice and very 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 low in sugar since they don't add any sugar to it. It's very good. It's Edie's E D Y S. E-D-Y apostrophe S, better. Um, very good stuff. I have the fudge tracks in my freezer right now. I have regular ice cream, but I have to eat it. I really don't like anything even. Edie's is artificial sweeteners in it, right? I think it's uses Splenda. Yeah. I, 
I almost never eat or have artificial sweeteners, so I usually try to have usually will like have little, very small amounts of stuff with actual sugar in it. But um, so I do have some actual ice cream right now, but it's not for today because I had other. I use my carbs for other things, like that pizza I didn't enjoy. Oh, that's terrible. I know, right? I had a baked very potato for dinner. Pizza. It was lovely. I loved it. I love baked potatoes. Oh, me too. Yeah, yes. There's absolutely nothing worse than wasting carbs. It's like when you, when you only get like, and I only get, um, are you still on 90 a day? 90, yeah. Yeah. I I get 120, and um, man, I would not have eaten that pizza. <laughs> I would not have wasted my carbs like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get thin crust to reduce the amount of, um, and I cut cut the outer edge of the um, crust off, the thicker part, so that I'm getting as few carbs as possible. Um. I think I can get like forty half the pizza for like forty five grams of carbs, but that's still like half my carbs in one meal. So I just have, I'm really judicious about and you know like on a day like today it's gonna go over, but um, I'm really judicious about where I spend my carbs. It was really disappointing that that had so much tomato sauce on it. That that's all I could taste was tomato sauce. It's just really annoying to have my pizza messed up. Although lately with with pizza, I get a garlic chicken pizza, so I'm getting a white sauce or just a garlic and butter on the crust and not any kind of sauce at all, Um, and uh, with spinach, and it's just really good. So because tomato sauce and me, we aren't good friends. I have acid reflux. I prefer pesto for sure. I mean, if I I have a difference between pesto and... And tomato sauce, I'm going to go for pesto every time. But um, I love a pesto on a pizza. That's really good, too. But um, this place I ordered from um, was uh, they didn't have they didn't have a pesto. So I just went with the red. And I've had their red sauce before. It's usually fine. I, just, I think that they just oversauce the pizza for, you know, whatever reason and decided well, to go ahead and slap the light it. sauce. I do light sauce a pizza if I'm getting a regular pizza because of my acid reflux. Yeah. I have to say that if you give me some olive oil and some bread and practically any kind of seasoning in that olive oil, like Italian seasoning would be fine. I'm not picky. Um, I don't need anything else. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll do. That's 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 a perfectly <laughs> fine meal right there. <laughs> My mom pitched a fit. I mean, well, she pitched a partial fit because she went down the street where our olive garden is, and she hadn't been on that street in about a year. And she didn't know that Olive Garden had moved two buildings down. And she called me from the parking lot of the former Olive Garden, and she's like, that fucking closed Olive Garden. I was like, no, they didn't. She says, I'm in it right now. That's a goddamn jewelry store. And she was just losing her mind. I said, Mama, Mama, 
look to your left. Oh. Okay, never mind. And she hung up on me. And I'm like, this isn't even a vibe. You have breadsticks. <laughs> that's what Olive Garden is good for, really. I mean, that's why. I'm pretty sure that's, that's why, why they still are in she business. She wanted salad and breadsticks. <laughs> right. Like, I'm pretty sure that's why they're still in business. Because it is not their exceptional pasta. <laughs> no, 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 no. They have pretty decent calamari, actually. Um, I enjoy calamari a lot. Sometimes I'll go there and get calamari and then just get, like, a soup and salad to go with it. Yeah, soup and salad, that's all I need from Olive Garden. Like, hello, I'm here. I'm having the soup and salad um, with the <laughs> sauce to dip those breadsticks in. Please, thank you. Um, <laughs> and keep the breadsticks coming because we're not counting carbs today. <laughs> well, even if I think it's like, I remember Olive Garden. There was some, some, some hubbub that made the news or something about Olive Garden not salting their pasta water or something like that. They don't salt the pasta water. Da, da. And I, I'm like, why did, I don't remember why this made the news, right? But it did one day. It, it probably was like on some, you know, um, some sort of like clickbaity type thing. But anyway, so there's a discussion about, and this, it, the minute I read that, I'm like, well, that's what's wrong with their pasta. They need to start fucking salting their, their, their water. What the hell's wrong with them? So I'm always been really judgy. Look. When you're cooking pasta, if your pasta water doesn't taste like the ocean, you're fucking up. Yeah. So, well, I just I always think whenever I think of them, that this is what's what's wrong with their pasta. It has something to do with it being hard on the pots or it causing you know that the lifespan of their pots was longer if they didn't salt the water. Some such. I have been. I, I have bullshit. 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 They're just cheap. Yeah. It is cheap because it also is an expense. It's not just an expense in the pots, right? Which I don't know that I buy that their pots are breaking down faster. But it is an expense in salt because the amount of pasta that Olive Garden has to go through, um, that's a lot of salt. So they could probably save quite a lot of money by not salting the water. And they're claiming it's for the pots, but ha. Um, I'm pretty sure my grandmother used the same stock pot like for 70 years. And she made pasta like five times a week. Now, granted, she wasn't making pasta five or six times a day, but it's still, I mean, like my mom inherited that stock pot. So um, anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's why their pasta doesn't taste good. And it doesn't taste good. Not even though it was on yet. When it's like, like soaked up with um, sauce and stuff, it still tastes terrible. Yeah. So, I mean, but they got the breadsticks. They got that going on. I mean, they got a lock on the good breadsticks. So, <laughs> I mean, nobody else is really compared. When you think about it, it's like when you have breadsticks, you're comparing them to Olive Garden. It's like these are really good. I mean, they're not Olive Garden good, but they're good, right? I mean, that's, that's like the gold standard. So um, for soft breadsticks, it's Olive Garden. So I'm pretty sure they're still in business on their breadsticks. And if you want biscuits with cheese in them, you go to Red Lobster. Red Lobster. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, cheddar biscuits. Can you tell you got two carboholics on on the air? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I bread sticks and biscuits. The last cheddar biscuit, man, because that's that's just good shit. If, if you've never had cheddar biscuits from um, from Lobster, you really know what you're missing. 
Texas. You're like, oh, I'm, sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, I have to say, when we were in the store, um, this is just a couple months ago, we're like walking down the, the aisle and there's a package of Red Lobster Cheddar Biscuits. And I was like, Cheddar Biscuit mm-hmm. Mix, right? And I was like, I wonder how will that tastes. I had to get it and try it, right? It tastes just like, when I mean, you get a good cheese, yeah. right, and you use good butter, it tastes just fucking like Red Lobster Cheddar Biscuits. So if you can't yeah. get you to a Red Lobster, you find you that Red Lobster Cheddar Biscuit Mix and you follow the directions, use a good sharp cheddar, and you will be set. They have they have a, ch- a sharp cheddar version. They also have a Parmesan and rosemary version on the shelf. Really, really good. But I'm a big fan of rosemary. I like rosemary. Well, I mean, I don't really taste rosemary like I used to. So mm-hmm. I used to, I could, back when I had taste buds, or I still have taste buds, back when I could appreciate the distinction, distinctive flavors, rosemary could get very overpowering for me very quickly. Um, so, yeah. But I, I really liked it in moderation. And olive oil. Um, bread from Kroger. It's really good. Um, it's in their deli section, you know, their bread section. Um, it's really good sandwiches. It comes in a little round loaf, but you can get it cut in a little machine. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the ends aren't big enough for sandwiches, but that's okay because they're good for soup. <laughs> or, or just for dipping make- in olive oil. Right. Or you could um, toast them a little bit and dice them up and use them for croutons. <laughs> a biscuit is very similar to a scone. Um, a biscuit um, it's a lot softer than a scone, though. Yeah, a scone is a lot more I have, I have, I have had scones that were soft, so that's probably not strictly accurate. But the scones they sell in the U.S. are very, typically very dry. And biscuits are not dry. I know for all you, you know, uh, also, people not in the U.S., biscuits are cookies. Sweet. Scones are kind of sweet. And a traditional southern biscuit is not. It's made with butter and milk, whereas a scone is normally made with butter and sour cream, heavy cream, sometimes sour cream, but most often heavy cream. And there's sugar in a scone recipe, and there's not one in a um, – there's no sugar in uh, regular biscuits So in the what US. you're describing um, – okay, so okay. what you guys are describing would be a biscuit uh, in the U.S. That would be a biscuit. And a scone has a crumb, kind of like almost like a cake, whereas a biscuit has a kind of a pillow texture. Yeah, and that's the scones in the U.S. I know scones in 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 England and Australia are very can be very different than how we have them here. Um, yeah, I've never had a scone that wasn't sweet. Oh, I've I've had savory scones even even. Even in the U.S., I've had savory scones, um, usually like a garlic herb cheese kind of thing. I wouldn't say no to that. But they are, but but they still edge towards being dry. You know, they're not. Um, 
and crumbly. They're not um they're not like like what we think of as a biscuit, which I think um I don't know where everybody who's I don't know where everybody in the chat right now is from, but I know we've got a couple of people from Australia in the chat. So I think their experience of the scone is very different than what we have. Well, yeah, for the Brits, obviously a a biscuit, a biscuit is a cookie, but, um, Now that's just not nice. <laughs> now I want biscuits. Yeah, especially Popeye's biscuits because um, I'll take any biscuit, whether it's like well, that biscuit or if it's a cookie. I just want some biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just want we just want something made out of wheat flour, please. <laughs> um. Actually, I think Popeye's biscuits are quite a bit better than KFC's biscuits. But KFC's biscuits are still good. I mean, I wouldn't turn one down right now. I, I would, you know, I'd be fine with that. But if there was a Popeye's and a KFC next to each other, KFC would lose every time on the biscuit front. But there's also so much butter in the Popeye's biscuits that they are also incredibly calorically dense. I'm actually looking it up because I looked this up once and it was just astonishing how many more calories are in it than. Well, a lot of times the scone uses a heavy cream, which is a lot more calories. Um, They add sugar for a lot of recipes, which is a lot more calories. Um, But yeah, it's just. I don't like KSC's biscuits, um, but. I could eat five or six Popeye's biscuits. Oh, yeah. I'd regret it. Definitely. I'd regret it, but I could do it. So per biscuit, per biscuit, a KFC biscuit is 185 calories. A Popeye's biscuit, they're the same size, folks. It's 240. And the calorie delta is basically in butter. It's basically butter because a KFC biscuit has nine grams of fat and a Popeye's biscuit has 14 and if you ever have somebody Popeyes talk to you about how they make their biscuits, they basically are. It, it is like it's like flour and butter are having an affair through the whole cooking process. Whereas, yeah, see, I agree. Cast this. Sea biscuits are dry, which is why I prefer Popeye's biscuits because I can just eat them right as they are. <laughs> I would agree that KFC's biscuits are definitely vehicles for gravy. <laughs> Popeye's biscuits are actually very, very buttery, greasy, oily, which is why they're awesome. Yeah, it's they've got an extra forty-five calories in butter in them, so. You know, per biscuit, per biscuit. So just embrace the 
You got to be prepared to embrace, which actually probably, honestly, from a from a perspective of blood sugar, they still twenty two grams of no, sorry, not twenty two grams of carbs. There's still twenty four grams of carbs in the biscuit, but you've got more fat to help support the blood sugar there. So that's my that's my party line. I'm sticking to it. That it's better for my blood sugar to have a Popeye's biscuit because there's more fat. Don't try to talk me out of this position. I'm firmly entrenched in it. Sometimes Discord's logo is just a teeny bit too subtle for me, and it's hard to find when I have a bazillion chat windows open. <laughs> well, I try not to have a whole bunch of windows open because then I do things I shouldn't do. I say things I shouldn't say in the wrong place, and shit gets real, and I have to delete things, and I have anxiety. Oh, yeah. and, you know, you know, just that's stuff. always a pain. That's always a pain in the ass, right? <sighs> so on the subject of giving yourself a mental break, um, why can't I find – oh, it would be in the pinned messages. Of course. No, it's not in the pinned messages. I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. I was looking to look and see what you put into the short pitch for tonight or in the in the summary for tonight to see if we covered the things that were in your summary. But I can't find the actual podcast link. Well, we were chatty tonight. What the hell? Um, the actual podcast link. Hold on. I can set you up. I have to find the thing. Um, how do you need the actual? I want to see what you put in the link. Oh. Oh, you didn't, say, you didn't say much. No, I didn't. <laughs> there was no mystery there. Like, I think that's, I mean, the, the, the part that I think that, you said knowing when to give yourself a break. Um, and generally when it comes to, I think that's the hard part is the knowing when to give yourself a break. Oh, thank you. Um and I want to say generally, if you think you need a break, you probably do. But I've also encountered quite a few people in, in over the years who any excuse to – they'll take any excuse not to write. And giving yourself excuses not to write is not the same thing as needing a break. So how do you tell when you need a break? I think when I need a break um, – I'm having a hard time concentrating on my narrative. I'm having a hard time remembering what I wrote. Um, I'm having to reread a lot. If I'm having to scroll up and read two or three times during a a writing session, then I, then I, then I need a break because I'm not on my game. Um, if I start to uh, stumble physically with typing, if I'm missing spaces or missing returns or stuff like that, I definitely need a break. Um, but, um, if I find myself sitting here singing a song on my headset, instead of actually writing, my brain has taken a break without my permission. (laughs) (laughs) When I find the idea of researching something more intriguing than writing something, I need a break. But the, the key is, is 
giving yourself that break and having permission, you know, giving yourself permission to have that break and, and not, um, not getting, you know, wrapped around the axle uh, for, for taking that break. But also, I think um, you don't need to justify that you need a break. And I think that that is something that I see people, I'm not talking about like recently or in, I'm not pointing at anybody, but I do, I do see this trend of people um, over the years feeling that they need to justify why they're taking. We see this in author notes, right? You're, you're going through and you're reading um, a story that's finished and you're, you're, the author notes spell out the saga of what was going on with this author as they were posting. And um, you'll be reading something and the person is basically sharing a lot, justifying why they're not updating the story. And you don't need to do that. You don't need to justify why, especially in, in that context, but to anybody you don't need to justify, unless it's your publisher, in which case, you know, if you've got a deadline, you might need to justify why you're not meeting it. But setting that, that one corner case aside, a professional obligation, you don't need to justify to anybody um, why you're taking a break. Uh, and if <clears> – <throat> If there's a day you don't want to sprint, you don't need to justify to anybody why you're not sprinting. Um, I don't think that's come up. It may have, and I just haven't seen it. I don't think it's come up. But I definitely do see this uh, uh, a trend, and I think fandom enables this a little bit in writers, of justify to people, justify to your readers, justify to your community why you're not writing. Um, and you don't owe and anybody any explanations. Never. You never owe anybody an explanation. And it's, you know, it's, but it's difficult to get to that mindset where you don't feel like you have to, um, you feel like you have to go through your comments and make apologies for people who, you know, who express their, oh, I'm, uh, oh, I waited so long for this, or, oh, I was up on not reading this because you posted it late. Fuck you. I don't care. It's not my responsibility to make sure you go to bed at night. Be an adult. Yeah, because then you just want to go, look. People people all over the world read my stuff. It's late for somebody no matter when I post it. (laughs) You are no better than anyone else, so suck it up and go to work. I had one reader one time, the tone of their comments as they were reading like they were leaving a lot of comments. I was worried they were about to get fired. Oh my God, my boss is going to be so mad at me, but I just got to keep going. And I was like, Oh, and I want, and I saw these after the fact, but if I had been reading these comments live, like if I hadn't been asleep myself, I'd have been like, woman, go to work. (laughs) Stop reading my stuff. I will ban you from my site till you work. Crazy ass. I agree. Fanfic.net did train us, did train a lot of authors about the um, author note, the the over-explaining. And I don't fault anybody who's done this because I'll be honest, fandom did train it, train you to do it. But it's kind of like break the habit. You don't. And the thing is, if you start, 
if you start just not explaining yourself, like you don't, because you don't owe anybody any explanations. So if you just get into that habit, it'll make, if, if you feel uncomfortable not justifying why you're not doing something or whatever, um, maybe take a look at that because why should you be uncomfortable about not posting something that you aren't getting paid for um, that is a hobby because you have other obligations or just because you needed a mental health day. Um, it's just, just, I mean, just take a look at that, you know. Um, I had somebody tell me once that they, that they believe that it's just polite to, and that they're naturally apologetic. And I, I kind of, you know, if, some, if somebody, I'm not going to argue with somebody who is giving me the reasons why they want to apologize for not posting and explain their, what's going on in their life because, and like I said, if, if they call it being naturally apologetic, I'm I'm not going to argue with somebody about like about that like to their face. If if they're pushing back about me saying you don't owe anybody that 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 was the sum total of it. You don't owe anybody any explanations, and they push back about how it's just polite and da 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 da. I'm not going to argue with them about it, but inside I'm calling bullshit because there's nothing. Um, it has nothing to do with politeness, right? It is an expectation that has been put on you by fandom, by readers, okay, let's be real. It's been foisted on you, and we've, we've, we kind of hook, line, and sinker bought into it, okay? And if that's what you want to do, you do you. I, I'm I'm not the excuse police, but you don't have to, and you don't owe it to anybody. So I'm all for shaking off the bad habits that writers get into, because most of the bad habits writers get into, well, they're kind of like two big categories that I have a problem with. That fandom, the two big categories that I have issue with, is one bad craft, and two is. Um, disempowerment that the relationship between the author and the reader is equal and therefore um, the author needs to provide lots of apologies and justifications and posting schedules and stuff Um, I have a big problem with disempowerment and I have a big problem with bad craft so I'm just going to call bullshit on all of those habits and encourage anybody out there who you know enjoys their who treats their writing seriously to look at what where that's coming from and well, think about it is that really what you thing. want how close do you think the relationship is between disempowerment and bad craft how close hmm. yeah because you've got these authors who are being essentially bullied into paths um in their writing um that appeal to their readers more than themselves. Um, they got readers dictating what they can do, what they can say, what they can write, who they can be friends with. Uh, you know, just creating these um, hostile situations where they're striving to meet these reader demands. Um, or they're being told, oh, don't worry about that. Oh, just do whatever you want. Just write. Write 10 POVs. 
Um, I don't care. I just want it. Write a 300K novel. I really need that. That I don't care how it hurts your craft. They're not saying that part, but that's explicit, right? Um, or implicit. Is it implicit? Um, in it, that you know, they're encouraging these writers to write a million words on a single story um, like that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Although I do think one of the worst perpetrators of this bullying authors into this kind of behavior is other authors who have been in, who have bought into this culture. Who have been um, indoctrinated. Yeah. And this is where you get the whole, you know, readers, readers are currency and you see writers talking about, you have to, you have to make sure your readers stay happy. And um, like I saw a posting in, that group um, where somebody was talking about that they really loved this one rare pair and it was really where their heart and their passion was but nobody was reading their work and they were only getting a few kudos per story and da 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 and there was all of this advice about picking another pairing or moving to a more popular fandom and you know how to figure out what her readers want and giving a posting schedule and um, Al was just like well, I mean like all the wrong advice all the wrong advice because to me the only good advice in that situation was if that is what is your if that sparks your creativity you go write your rare pair and just appreciate every because every person who has given you comments and kudos you are the writer who's there for them and they love you for it so you know but the thing I mean, is that that advice probably would have slid right off of her because the whole because she was in that group complaining because she didn't have readers. Right. Because nobody was appreciating her work enough. And, but, the, and, but, but was, but the, my, and then I wonder, was, was she, was she really bothered by that? Or was, were these people setting up this expectation that she wasn't, because there's all this comment and kudo bragging that goes on in the group. Um, was she being, <sighs> Basically I don't told think there was anything enough. more appallingly pitiful than someone taking a screenshot of their kudos and sharing it on Facebook. I, are you it's fucking serious? Strange. It's odd behavior. Um, but when I discuss comment it, statistics or visitation statistics, I'm talking about trends and... Um, you know, in fandom in general, it's not bragging. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Well, I, it's, <laughs> it's just appalling. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm an arrogant asshole. I'm. <laughs> it's still appalling. Well, you can be appalling and you can be an arrogant asshole. These things are not mutually <laughs> exclusive. But, you know, the thing is, is, when I see stuff like that, it's like there's this whole culture around you, you, your craft. This is what they're saying, okay, folks, is their craft, they're saying your craft is not significant if people don't press that stupid kudos button enough. That's what they're saying. And people are buying into it. And the thing is, the people who are driving that part of the culture are other authors, and they were indoctrinated to it by a really toxic writer 
reader dynamic that grew up in fandom. But I think writers are some of the worst perpetrators of indoctrinating people and bullying people with that mentality because it's just – it's just Someone, crazy. It's just crazy that you would feel like your writing is inadequate because enough people. If you write a rare pair, something that's really rare, okay, or in a very small fandom, you know from the beginning you have to know logically that your audience is small, and conceivably you started writing that pairing anyway because it's what you wanted to write. But then you start seeing in a group about all these kudos and appreciation other people are getting and how wonderful that is, quote unquote, you know, supposedly in these people's mind, and you start to feel inadequate. And then you start asking, well, how do, what do I do? And then you start listening to the advice to write a different pairing that's more mainstream or do this, this, or this to market your work better, or actually saw the advice, make a posting schedule and stick to it. All of this bizarre advice that has nothing to do with writing and that could that could very well kill that person's desire to write because if they had passion for a different pairing why wouldn't they be writing it and they even said this is what i want to write this is what i'm interested in but nobody wants to read it and not nobody because somebody you know, is reading great. it someone is commenting yeah, because someone she, is giving kudos she screen she screenshotted her kudos and comment statistics too and put it up and goes, but it's so little and I'm like, oh honey. <laughs> See the thing about Roger bullies, I recently got a comment on the awakening, um, and the person um gave glowing feedback and it was really nice and they asked me about a sequel um to the awakening. And um I I'm so, I'm so gun shy about writing a sequel to the awakening that it is unreal how comfortable the idea makes me. And it wasn't it wasn't readers who put me off the Sentinel fandom. It was other writers who didn't like my portrayal mm-hmm. of Blair, who didn't like my um my plot, didn't like the construction of my story, who who ripped me to pieces in private. Um because I won all I won those stupid like my fire awards in their last year that it was going to take place for a story they didn't approve of. And I don't even, I mean, I, you know, I, I told the reader who, who commented, I don't thank them. And I, said, I just don't think I'm, I don't think I'm there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure I can write straight Sentinel anymore. Because I mean, it just—I—I—I I, I feel like it would open me back up to those emails. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it's like it's a—it's—it's it's one of those things that happens. I'm, there's really no way to get good closure around, right? Uh, I'm you not walk away. Saying but, that I started the little black dress um, crossover to stick it to those assholes, but it does warm my heart that most of the Sentinel stuff that gets added to AO3 is from the little black dress and they're all crossovers. I'm just saying. Just saying. And I'm, I am certainly in a position to throw a whole bunch of Sentinel fit at that fandom. We could set up a Sentinel challenge. I think people would be all over it. Am I going to do it? No. 
I don't trust them. Anyway, we're down to a minute. Think about yourself. Do some self-care this week. We're in the middle of the challenge. Um, Give yourself a break if you need it. Um, And don't be too hard on yourself if you do need that break. You know, just give yourself permission to do it. And you guys have a fantastic week. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone.